Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Promising Practices for Promoting Equitable and Culturally Competent Vaccinations for Dually Eligible Beneficiaries. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on September 15, 2022. In this podcast, Alexandra Bryden and Darcy Graves from the Office of Minority Health at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services facilitate a panel discussion with Dr. Cherie H. Kitt, the Program Director for the Vaccine Equity and Access Program at Community Catalyst, Eric Yarnell, the Vice President of Pharmacy at Highmark Whole Care, Rod Teamer, the Director of Diversity Programs and Business Development at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana, and Dr. Peter Watson, the Vice President for Clinical Operations and Strategy at Health Alliance Plan. During this discussion, panelists offer strategies and promising practices regarding promoting equitable and culturally competent vaccinations for dually eligible beneficiaries. One of the questions that I wanted to put out there, because we've talked a lot about community and making sure that we're connecting with community and forging those community relationships, how would you recommend or how can organizations and health plans build and maintain relationships in underrepresented populations and recruit members to best represent them? And tied into that, making sure, how do we set expectations for what a community partnership is for our organization so that both parties feel there is a mutual. We could start with you for this. Absolutely. That's such a good question. There is always a push to establish relationships, but oftentimes cultivating and maintaining the relationships are ignored, and the outcome, unfortunately, is that trust is never established. So it's really important with community-level trust-building especially within our immunization, the work that we're doing in immunization as in, or in any other work for that matter, community-level trust building is critical. So to be a true partner, and I'm, I'm saying it, I'm answering this from a standpoint of a national organization funding community-based organizations. To be a true partner, you have to sometimes take that funder hat off and take a step back and allow community partners to be the experts. They know their communities, who the leaders are. They understand the nuances within their communities. They know where to go, where people go to get information. So oftentimes we need to take that funder hat off and take a collaborative approach and sit with them around the table as a partner. As you heard throughout my presentation, I never said awardees or grantees. I always said community-based partners because at Community Catalyst, we take a collaborative approach to our technical assistance which emphasizes listening, sharing information and resources, and facilitating learning. And we don't like to look at our programs or if we fund an organization as, as like a short-term, one-time program. We seek to establish long-term goals for our partnerships while working with community-based organizations and supporting them in building their own internal sustainability. And, for instance, we often – have organizations that are not currently funded under any programs at our organization, but they reach out to us for technical assistance and support, and we never say no. We never hesitate 
to maintain that partnership and provide that support to them. So the expectations that they have from us are not just based on the funding that's put out, but also that we're here. We're always here to support them. And we have a large network of organizations that, like I said, still come to us for technical assistance, still come to us for support, who sit on webinars, who sit on trainings, and they're not even being funded. They've just been a partner for years. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Kitt. And I love that distinction of naming somebody as a partner rather than just as a grantee or, or somebody that you have funded. I think that's a really important nuance to the language we choose. Mr. Yarno, any thoughts on the question or questions that I posed about building and maintaining relationships in underrepresented populations? Sure. I would agree with Dr. Kitt. You know, we have the luxury of having a great community engagement team within our plan that have deep roots within the communities with partners and long-established relationships. And they were able to, you know, network within the community to set up, you know, opportunities where, you know, they would come to me and say, okay, we have this partner established. Now we need you to figure out who's going to give the vaccine, right? So that really is almost a separate channel within the organization because you, you have to have those partnerships for all types of opportunities where you want to get to your members, not just providing a vaccination. So we were able to really capitalize on those relationships that were existing. And, and they even helped us when we would identify a community-based organization that maybe we hadn't worked with in the past because that's their skill level. I mean, they're great at getting into the community and talking to partners. So they, they've been very helpful. Thank you, Mr. Yarnell. Alex, I believe I'm passing the mic over to you now. Thanks, Darcy. And hello, everyone. My name is Alex Bryden. My pronouns are she, her. So I would like to change the focus a little to thinking about enrollees in plans. We have a lot of folks from plans on the line, I know. So I'm sort of looking at you, Ron, and Dr. Watson, but what enrollee feedback that you received sort of in response to the COVID vaccination efforts, in response to your flu efforts as you've done them in sort of in tandem with COVID, would you want to share with your plan colleagues to help them improve their work going forward? And taking that a level up, recognizing that feedback is very real-time, are there any tips that you would give to your colleagues about getting feedback from enrollees to make sure the current vaccination efforts as we incorporate monkeypox, as we think about the flu season, can capture what enrollees are going through right now? So I'll start with you, Rod. How about that? Okay, great. Yeah, well, I'm happy to jump into that question, but let me just kind of loop back to the previous question about building relationships with the community. That's one of the things that we spend a lot of time on. A couple of notes, we had our ongoing volunteer efforts. We get our employees involved. We let them kind of lead and direct us through our resource groups. And we also recognize that there are certain areas that we are specialized in, so we make it a point to stay in our, in our lane and, and make sure we focus on the things, on the areas and the, and the relationships that we've established over the years. So when we do have a crisis situation, it's more about creating a plan and acting on it as opposed to trying to create a lane of communication. 
that's already existed from just ongoing cultivation. So in response to your previous question, I think most of the feedback that we've received through evaluations and, and, and just commentary that we receive on, on site is that employees want to have, they want good, clear information. They want to get it on a timely basis, and they want to be treated with respect and dignity. Oftentimes, especially when you're getting out into communities of color, there's sometimes lacking empathy, and resources are not distributed in an equitable way. So it oftentimes creates friction. I think someone in the presentation mentioned that they had looked at the timing for how they were doing the vaccines, and they were closing or shutting them down at 5 o'clock, which meant that people who were working in an hourly wage job had, would have difficulty making it for that type of event. So I think it's very important for organizations to create a venue or create a mechanism to get back feedback from the community, because oftentimes we don't, but also to make an effort to act on those suggestions so that when people express concerns about lack of access or cost, that someone is recording those questions and getting back to them with answers. I'm not sure if that quite answers the question that you asked, but those are some of the things that we've been doing locally especially as it relates to social media. We get a lot of commentary back from our customers, from our members, and the community through social media, and we're very diligent about responding to those when they're made available to us. I think that is a wonderful point, and it is absolutely responsive, because I I think that's something that we think about a lot as, as an insurer as well as CMS, right? Folks give comments and provide guidance and feedback and input, and it's so important to sort of respect that that was delivered by saying what you're doing about it, sort of acknowledging that it was heard and making sure that it's been communicated somewhere to make a change. And I think that means so much to the communities that we serve. Dr. Watson, looking at you then, what is your sort of perspective? Is there anything that you could share on this? Yeah, I, I think that getting the perspective of our enrollees generally is, is critical, and, and we need to always engage our enrollees on their terms and really understanding, as I said earlier, we have to understand things like COVID and other challenges on their terms, not just in the way that we would like to view them through our own filter. And I think health plans, I certainly think it happened. other health plans, we've certainly recognized that we have to do things differently. And COVID was a forced opportunity for us to get out in the community and do a lot of listening, not talking at people or telling them what we think they should do, but listen first. And we learned a lot through that effort and going to places where maybe we were not necessarily always meeting our members, Uh, meeting them, like I said, in the drive-through at McDonald's or going to a community-based event engaging religious organizations so that we're meeting them in a more comfortable setting where they can really be honest about what they were experiencing and what the true barriers were or concerns were to getting vaccinated. And I think those lessons are lessons that are going to teach us and reteach us again as we face future issues in healthcare and inequities in our community on that, on that setting. So my advice to health plans are Find out where your members are, 
meet them where they want you to meet them rather than trying to make it convenient for yourself. And you'll be surprised what you're going to learn. Thank you. I think that's another wonderful point, corollary, second sort of observation. The feedback loop is important. And then also in thinking about especially communities who have maybe historically been underrepresented or have a have a feeling that their voices haven't necessarily been heard or folks haven't met them where they are, going to those spaces I think is a really wonderful signal of respect that it's not incumbent on a person to stop what they're doing to tell us what they need. We will actually find you to ask at a place where you're going to be anyway and, and that you're comfortable. So thank you, sir. And Darcy, I will turn it back to you for the next question. Of course. Yes. Thank you, everybody. And and in looking at the next question, I feel like we've kind of the, the responses to the, the most recent one answered that is, what steps do you recommend health plans take to effectively communicate vaccine messaging to target audiences during a time where misinformation is rampant? So to those who didn't respond to the last question, are there any additional thoughts that you would talk about in terms of effective communication regarding vaccine messaging. Messaging. Yeah, this is Eric. I, I would just reinforce that, you know, working with providers and trusted CBOs within the community is essential. We've seen through surveys and publications that people want to hear from their healthcare provider or someone that they trust within their community. They don't trust the government. They don't trust the media, right? They want to hear from local trusted people, including their providers. So I think that's essential. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I, I remember when last summer when we were doing some some videos and we were building some uh, recordings to go, you know, onto radio, uh, local radio and other media outlets. We were very conscious of who who was doing the messaging, what voice the community would hear, and and how those voices would be received. So, because again, you run the risk of sending a message that someone's talking at the community as opposed to talking with the community about the the particular issue at hand. And that was one of the, the partnership that we had with the hundred hundred black men organization in that, you know, they worked with us. They provided access, credibility, and and insight to what are some of the best ways to communicate with the community that they best represent. So I think that point has been made a few times, but to rely on experts that can point you in the right direction and validate the messaging that you think is a good message Make sure that you validate it with someone who represents the community before you go forward with it. Thank you 100% to all of that. My next question, I feel like we've also touched on a little bit, but I want to make sure that Dr. Kitt has a chance to, to chime in here as well. Posing the question, how can we use what we've learned related to flu and COVID-19 vaccination access and administration, again, particularly for our underserved communities, to strengthen what we anticipate being our monkeypox response? Thank you for that question. In answering this question, there's so many ways to answer, but 
I think in terms of not making some of the same mistakes that were historically made in the early days of HIV, and we were seeing some of that at the start of COVID. So I think that's the first thing. And the second is just addressing stigma around monkeypox in that it doesn't only impact just certain individuals, but others, some individuals may be at a higher risk, but it, but it doesn't just impact one group of individuals. And one of the things that we're already seeing, and, and I, I looked at this data just yesterday on CDC's website, is that black individuals are now more frequently diagnosed with monkeypox than any other racial or ethnic group. However, white individuals are vaccinated four times the rate of black individuals. So we're already starting to see disparities existing in racial and ethnic groups obtaining the monkeypox vaccine. So I believe that we need to go back to what a lot of organizations have been doing well, and it's really about building trust and really working with trusted community-based organizations and messengers to really combat misinformation and disinformation about monkeypox and other vaccines that are out there, and really having clear and up-to-date messaging. I mentioned earlier that that was one of the challenges that a lot of our community-based partners were having. It was just really clear, up-to-date, accurate information, so ensuring that communities are aware of updates and understanding information about monkeypox so that they can address those stigmas and as well as false information that they may hear and that they can educate folks about the vaccine and support them in facilitating access by having partnerships with providers that are offering the vaccine. Thank you so much, Dr. Kitt. All of that information is so, so important. And yes, I've seen those, the numbers as well. And we have to double down. It, hopefully, we can get better. With this, I will turn. I know we're running short on time, so I just want to pass the microphone over to Alex for our last question. Alex. Thank you, Darcy. So I know we have only a minute left, a couple minutes. So turning to Dr. Watson and then the rest of the panel as well, and thinking about, we've talked about a lot of valuable lessons, and I think plans have a lot of ideas from what you've said already. Is there anything that you've left on the table that you would want to share with a plan, particularly as we go into cold and flu season, as we go into vaccinating folks with, again, another possibly unknown vaccine? So what would you leave folks with? What's front and center in your mind as you think about making sure that where these are, there are pockets of vulnerability, we're getting vaccines to the right folks, we're getting information to the right folks. Dr. Watson, any thoughts for the group? Yeah, thank you. I, I think it's just a philosophy, and that is we learned that COVID was a was an incredibly unconventional problem. And I think it reiterates what all of us need to do as health plans is that we can't be conventional. We have to really think about how to do innovative solutions to meet these problems. Healthcare is a big, complex issue, and the, the challenges we face with inequities are even more challenging. So it's really embracing our role to be an activator and having the humility to be a partner, not just a payer, and to really to achieve those ends. And I think you heard just great examples from all my colleagues about how they did just that. Thank you for listening. 
This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website, resourcesforintegratedcare.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care or follow Resources for Integrated Care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.